Lisa Kay, connecting the community on Talk of the Town. Good morning, Albat. Albat, it's Lisa Kay. How are you? Hey, Lisa, I'm doing great. Good, good. How is the uh, warm weather treating you? You know, um, it's 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 okay. Uh, I always worried that it might be just too warm for me. You're not just not used to that warm weather yet, but. Boy, I've been out walking in it, and it's it's great. It gets hot if you stand around in the sun, but other than that, it's beautiful. Yeah, we're looking at a little bit of rain moving in for the weekend, I think. And then uh, I was outside taking a look around, kind of scratching around at the garden. I'm seeing some, like, my garlic chives are coming up, and I've got tulips and uh, daffodils that are sprouting already. So I, I'm hoping it doesn't get too cold. We're supposed to dip down into the 50s next week, so. A lot of crocuses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know that uh, uh, there's a, you know, the Nomo May thing coming up, and people are talking about not disturbing pollinators that are resting underneath leaves and things like that. I'm not cleaning anything out yet. Do you clean anything out this early, or are you waiting no, as well? No, I sure don't. It, it's just uh, chronic laziness is uh, <laughs> what's behind that. So I I go out and, uh, oh, I pick up at least 100 branches or branches and twigs and things every day and I, I don't even make a dent in it you know we, uh, with all the winds and the snow and everything there's been a lot of uh, breakage and small branches and things from trees yeah so, and it keeps me busy just picking all those things up right right well i know that uh i i'm seeing on social media things circulating about our hummingbirds coming back are we going to start to see them soon do i need to break out the feeder yeah, I you know I think of kind of May first May Day as uh, Oriole Day and Hummingbird Day, and that's kind of when I break everything out. And if I see stuff before that, and I, then I rush around and get it out there. But otherwise, I just uh, I don't. You know, it's the same with gardening. We get so excited about stuff, and I see people buying all kinds of plants and everything, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, how many years have we bought those things and <laughs> taken them out and planted them and only to have them freeze? So sometimes it's just, and it's so hard after winter. We're all just, right. boy, we find that spring energy and that gardening energy that we want to get out there and do all these things. But, boy, if you... I guess if you're doing a lot of those things, you better uh, provide some protection for those little plants. And uh, hummingbirds, and uh, you know, we never know. Uh, I think, uh, gosh, last year the Orioles were a couple days late or early in my yard. Okay. So we never know when they come, but uh, I'm always happy to see them. And I uh, work down in Texas some, and down there, oh, they feed them peanut butter. They have a lot of different species of Orioles. So they feed them peanut butter, and they feed them marshmallows. And I watch the Orioles just love those marshmallows. So I came home one year, and I thought, I'm going to put out marshmallows. So I put them out there, but I don't know. You know, they stuck to their feet and everything. I don't know if that was a good. Maybe our Minnesota Orioles just aren't (laughs) aren't meant for eating marshmallows. They certainly ate them and seemed to enjoy them, but then, then they drop them to the ground, and then you have this little ball <laughs> of just uh, stuff from under a right, feeder right. all and stuck the ants, this little the, ball yeah. of something. It's so. ant food. That's what that is, right? Yeah, so I, I served them up to my brother-in-law's, told them it was some kind <laughs> of candy, and they, they, no, they didn't. So when, when should we start putting out? And Orioles are like oranges and grape jelly, right? 
Yeah, and grape jelly, they like all kinds of jelly. I feed grape jelly because being a frugal fella, that's the cheapest jelly mm-hmm. typically. So I like uh, putting that out. And I've done all kinds. Oh, gosh, Lisa, you wouldn't believe all of it. I put a board out with eight little trays so I could put different kinds of jelly in each one. And then I tried eight different kinds in each of those eight different trays. So I had all these different opportunities. And the only thing I found is they did not uh, care if it was Welch's or Smucker's or um, from Dollar Tree. What they seemed to prefer the most was the darker jelly, and I'm assuming that's because there's more sugar in it. And that was the only thing I noticed. So I I don't uh, know that you need to spend a lot of time determining which uh, grape jelly they prefer because they like them all. So it sounds like you were working on your Oriole charcuterie board. It was, and I was uh, like Mr. Wizard out there doing it, too. <laughs> and saying, okay, kids, now right. this time we're going to move each of these one down and see what happens then. And it, it was kind of fun. It was interesting, a little experiment. And I, I pictured the late John Edwards, my chemistry and physics teacher, just being so proud of me doing those experiments out there. So, you know what, I did get a question from somebody that wants to know about finches, and I have finches, and I know we've talked about the thistle seed or the, or the niger the last time I talked to you. Is that the only food to attract finches? Um, they don't seem to be eating from this person's finch feeder. They, they do like sunflower seeds, the black oil ones, because the uh, gray stripe ones are too big for them. And, of course, they would love the hulled. You might see it in the stores as sunflower hearts. So it's the sunflowers with the the hull taken off them. So they do like those. And I feed Niger. I have tried uh, some of the other feed uh, finch seed mixtures, kind of. And I know a lot of people have good luck with them, but I think I've trained mine, apparently, to eat the uh, Niger, and that's what they like. And, again, Niger is... uh, the only thing I can say against Niger is it is not long-lasting, so uh, it does go bad after a couple months or so. And uh, but So I put out just enough for them so they eat it, and then I can put out more and I don't have to worry about it. But they sure like Niger here, and uh, but they do like sunflower seeds as well. And they like them when you've taken the, uh, uh, the seed coating off of them apparently they're a little yeah, and high you maintenance do that individually too if you got an <laughs> afternoon you know and binge watching something on tv you just peel all the sunflower seeds for them and yeah. they will appreciate it's you. so nice you get a nice gift from them it's so nice right um now i saw a disturbing speaking you know back to hummingbirds i saw a disturbing um something on the internet that said oh this is from you feeding uh, you know, honey mixed with water. It should just be white sugar um, and the ways to feed hummingbirds uh, so we're ready for our feeders coming up on May 1st. Yeah, you don't need to, I love honey. I think honey is good on just about everything, but it is not good in sugar water for birds as is, uh, a lot of other things that we might think we could put in there. Uh, the best thing is what we call just, uh, we call it table sugar, white sugar and that's the uh, the best thing to put in there and you don't have to put any color red in there uh, no dyes i know a lot of the commercial products you you see has red in there mm-hmm. but they don't need that if you have a bird feeder that has no red on it uh, 
just tie a little red ribbon around it and that will attract the hummingbirds there or red string or anything red uh, i suppose you could put red tape around it duct oh, tape okay. or something uh, just so they come to it and they do uh, they just love uh, water with sugar in it and uh, i talked to a friend the other day lisa he said when he was a kid i think there was nine kids in the family all like one year one year apart uh, and they used to eat their pancakes with uh, sugar and water on it that was their syrup huh. so they might have been part hummingbirds part hummingbird. by the time they grew up after <laughs> eating that all the time i well, think do the birds do they have taste buds uh, birds do have taste buds. I've raised chickens for a hundred years, and I used to watch them and what they ate. And I thought, man, they can't—they can't be tasting any of that food. If they could, they wouldn't be eating what they're eating. Uh, birds have up to five hundred taste buds. Humans, we have—you know—if you go out with uh, six or seven of us and we go out to eat, it's amazing what some people can eat without any problems and then some other ones go oh gosh this is this is too hot i can't possibly eat this they have found that adult humans have between 2,000 to 10,000 taste buds so there's a great uh, spread of taste buds Hmm. so i think that uh, that's why we all don't eat the same thing Uh, parrots folks that have uh, caged birds parrots they will know boy they like certain things they have three to four hundred taste buds, and my friends, the chickens, they have twenty-four. Twenty-four taste buds. Twenty-four. So they just uh, when they say, you know, uh, their spouse says, "Honey, what would you like for uh, like for dinner?" <laughs> They'll say, "I mean, it really doesn't matter. You know, whatever's going to be fine." Birds can taste sweet, sour, and bitter. And they can learn how those combination of those tastes warn them of toxic foods or invite them to feed. Uh, Fruit eaters can certainly detect when fruit is ripe. And hummingbirds can certainly taste differences in sugar concentrations found in flowers. So there's Hmm. certain flowers. uh, They like, of course, the tubular shape, but uh, they will go to other flowers. And they certainly have favorites because some are more tasty to them. Interesting. All right. Well, now I feel bad for the chickens. 24 taste buds. That's yeah, it. Yeah, it just doesn't seem fair that no. uh, you know, so many of us just enjoy <laughs> all these different kinds of delicacies and culinary delights. And here's the poor chicken out there saying, yeah, it was all right. It is just all right for me, yeah. right? Um, I know we talked about robins and how some robins stay here in Minnesota for the winter. But, you know, now we're seeing them and they're going to be out looking for worms in our grass and things like that. What do they eat during the winter? Yeah, it's, uh, and we see quite a few of them in the winter uh, come and go. They're pretty nomadic, and they eat berries and fruits that persist on shrubs, trees, and vines. So one of the hackberry trees are just wonderful. Uh, they feed a lot of birds in the wintertime, so they eat those. Uh, they will eat buckthorn that most of us are trying to get rid of. They will eat crabapple, hawthorn, mountain ash, if some of those hang around. And if we want to feed them, we can throw out frozen or fresh fruits, such as apple slices, raisins, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, cherries, and placed on the ground or on a a platform on the ground. If you're a young robin, so you're growing up here in in Mankato, Minnesota, you're following mom and dad around because you're hungry, and 
They learn that fruit grows on trees and shrubs. When they eat fruit, they're getting a lot of earthworms, but they're also eating little fruit and berries. And they learn that that grows on trees and shrubs. So if we put it on a feeder, these young robins come back here and they say, well, that's not a tree or a shrub, so I'm not going up there, which makes them not common feeder birds. But that doesn't mean they never visit feeders. Uh, Platform feeder, again, offering raisins or even crushed peanuts Mm. or mealworms might be welcome in the dead of winter when you get some... It, they look kind of miserable sometimes in the wintertime, and yeah. I, I think maybe they are a little bit. But some folks will tell me that they feed cranberries in a feeder, but, and I've tried those, the domestic ones, and they ignored them. They oh. just uh, they didn't even pick at them. So I put them out no matter how enticingly I arrange the berries, they still ignore them. I see robins in my yard feeding on the suet fallen from a suet cake feeder. <clears throat> and that makes sense because they feed on earthworms, so suet is just right at their alley. Mm-hmm. So I crumble some up and place it on the ground when I have them here in the winter, and the robins will gobble it down. I've seen a few robins eating those hulled sunflower seeds or sunflower hearts, okay. and they will eat jelly. And they love a heated bird bath. So that's <laughs> the main things you can do for them. They, nothing enjoys a bath like a robin. They just find such great joy in that water, splashing around and just getting soaked. I was out on my patio and realized that there was no water in my heated bird bath yet. So I'm going to do make sure that that's filled uh, today, which we kept it full throughout the winter. So that was good. Yeah, birds is is very important for birds. Yeah. I just uh, love it, and it's a a great attractant to a yard. We've got Al Bat on Talk of the Town today. Al, here's kind of a morbid question from a listener: a headless rabbit in my yard. What did that to the bunny? Yeah, hey, uh, it's uh, it's an odd thing, you know. It was it Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick. <laughs> it it might have been, you know. I don't know if anybody's played Clue, but I put nothing past Colonel Mustard. I just don't trust the guy. <laughs> but when folks encounter such a sight, and they now we all we perform a thorough crime scene investigation (CSI), mm-hmm. and we come up with a list of usual prospects that uh, that neighbor that got upset with you about you mowing lawn too early in the morning, uh, a cat, uh, Colonel Mustard, of course, a celebrity chef. You never know what those celebrity chefs are up to. sure. I'd take Colonel Mustard off that suspect list first, (laughs) and then the cat, and then maybe a celebrity chef. I might leave him on there. (laughs) I would say the culprit, Lisa, was an owl. An Uh, owl? Great horned owl signature method when dealing with large prey, and to them a rabbit would be large prey is to behead the victim before it's taken to the owl's nest or oh, eating perch. Ew. So, yeah, there was a study done in Kansas. They studied owl kills, and they found that 60% of the prey items were decapitated. And you're saying, well, why would you? What's the point of that? Huh. Well, a great horned owl, first, a great horned owl has this deadly grip. And it's used as its talons to cleave a bunny head. And it might uh, use its bill a little bit, but they can cut a head off a bunny as fast as a rodeo cowboy can rope a steer. Apparently, rabbit brains and eyes are a delicacy for owls and are nutritious by being full of rats. 
rats, <laughs> fats, and proteins. They might be full of rats. Yeah, that too. Uh, yeah, I hope nobody's eating. Well, oh, my it. goodness. So if you are, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, and I hope you're not eating rabbit brains and eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell us if you are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A delicacy, huh? Yeah, they, uh, every year I get a few calls from people, and uh, I just ask them, you know, because I, I think that also the... Uh, Godfather, where the some movie producer had ticked off the mob, and he ended up with a horse's his horse's head in the bed. So I always tell folks if they have you know if, uh, maybe a neighbor with mob connections or something, and that's mm-hmm. why you got the headless bunny out there. But I don't think that's the case. I I'd, I'd blame a celebrity chef before I'd blame anybody <laughs> from the Godfather. <laughs> Um, a listener wants to know about um, something else about owls. Do they eat? Did, am I pronouncing this right? Carry on. Yeah, carry on is of course folks that travel. That's what we carry on the, <laughs> on the plane. <laughs> carry on is the dead stuff on the road. The okay. Deer, uh, skunks, raccoons, things we're seeing on the road now, and we don't think of owls as scavengers, and they aren't really much of a scavenger, but the behavior is really far more widespread than we believed. The study, I want to say it was University of Illinois researchers did a study, and they found that most of the carcasses fed upon by owls were mammals, especially those with hooves. So I've seen an owl on a dead deer. Uh, I think I've seen that twice. Hmm. Uh, one time, I'm pretty sure it was a younger owl saying, now in the Bonanza, he probably wasn't very good at hunting. Mm-hmm. And he thought, man, I had a whole deer. So they will on occasion, uh, hawks probably a little bit more. And then, of course, we see crows and turkey vultures are really at home on that. And as far as deer go, uh, if anybody's hung up a deer carcass in the yard, you'll quickly find out that blue jays and chickadees and things are right over there on it. But owls uh, will scavenge. Uh, I suppose it would depend on how hungry or how lazy they are at right. the time. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's, I've, I've heard that things only like to eat what they kill. There are a lot of them that are pretty much like that, and uh, a lot of owls, when I was a kid, I was always told that they they only like fresh kills, so something they get. And they will uh, toss, when they have young ones in the nest, they will put food into the nest to kind of cache it and store it. But usually then the weather is really cold, so it stays wet, it stays edible for mm-hmm. quite a while. Are they, what animals will store food like that? I didn't realize they did that. Oh, you know, we think of, uh, first we think of insects, ants, bees, and wasps. They're famous for doing that, oh, sure. caching food sure. for later. Uh, seeds, uh, they lend themselves to storage. So nuthatches, chickadees, titmice, jays, crows, falcons. Uh, again, many owl species, shrikes, nutcrackers, oh. some woodpeckers. If folks have been out to California and things, maybe they've seen acorn woodpeckers who cache, drill little holes in trees and just fill them with acorns. Uh, rodents do it. Of course, squirrels are the ones that come to mind, but also our friend the voles that are we can see have been all over our yard after the snow melts. Foxes, bobcats, mountain lions will do that. An interesting one is moles, M-O-L-E-S. They store living earthworms. And again, I hope nobody's eating. They immobilize <laughs> these earthworms by biting their heads off. 
and then they store them for the winter. Huh. Uh, moles don't hibernate, and they're busiest finding and storing foods during summer's raining periods, but they cache food in the form of living earthworms. I did not know that. Oh, interesting. Man, we learn so much when we talk to you every single time. I know we don't have you on until the end of May, so by then we should be seeing some good action with the hummingbird feeders. And any last words for people today? It's a, a beautiful day, folks. I hope you all find joy in all that you see. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Lisa.